Go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And one of the things I love about the Bible that I was reminded of this week as we, as I was studying this chapter, it's something that we forget and when it comes to the scriptures is the Bible, it has like its own commentary in it. It's got its own dictionary in it. And I was, I've been thinking a lot about that scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Truly furnished unto all good works. I personally believe, while I am not against learning from others and learning from history and things like that, I personally believe that everything that we teach, we ought to be able to get it just from a Bible. I really believe that's important. And any time a doctrine comes along where you need something more than the Bible to understand it or to figure it out, then I'm going to say that it's probably not correct. That's probably a bad system of theology. And, and I don't know if any of you saw the discussion I did with a full preterist who believes Jesus has already come back and is not coming back. Does not, I mean, literally denies physical resurrection. Um, in that discussion, you know, he talks about, you know, scholarly work, you know, listen to all these different scholars and reading all these different scholars. And through reading all these other books, he was able to understand what the scriptures actually mean. Okay? Now, that's dangerous stuff right there, okay? That, I mean, that is, that is really, that is really dangerous. And, um, bless his heart, as nice of a guy he was, he crossed the line. <laughs> you know, he definitely, that, that doctrine crosses the line, okay? And, um, but as I was reading this chapter, it was just something I'm going to point out to you as we go. It's just real interesting. Just one more reminder that God wanted to make sure, because God did promise he would preserve his word. And, the Bible does. It It has everything that we need to believe everything we're supposed to believe, to believe to be everything that we're supposed to be. And so let's look what it says in verse 1. It says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, this is what I, I want to. I think it's important we make note of this here. But this is the first time we see Jesus giving a parable. Okay, so this is the first. I mean, the the word parables in the Old Testament. So, but at the same time, too, it's important that we understand why Jesus spoke in parables. And in this very first example of a parable that Jesus gives, we're going to see in this chapter, he explains why he's speaking in parables. And that is important to remember for all of his parables. And we're going to start looking at a lot of parables. He's really going to start speaking a lot of parables in the rest of the book of Matthew. And how these parables are interpreted is very important. Most people, when it comes to the parables, only teach life application. That is okay to teach life application, but if we never teach the same thing Jesus was teaching with those parables, we're probably going to miss a few things. And when we, and so we're going to do both as we go through the parables. We are going to make life application, but we are also going to make sure we explain exactly why Jesus was giving that parable. And when we do that, you're going to find out why people only make life application because it's very pointed. So, um, in this first example of a parable, we do, we have it explained 
why he's given parables, just like in the principle of first mention, often the first time you see a word, you will see it used in a way to help you understand what that word is. The Bible, it does. It just, it kind of has its own dictionary. So that's just amazing thing about this book. But verse four, so he's doing the parable of the sower. And when he sowed some uh, seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Now, we are going to go on to interpretation shortly. But before we can understand this parable, we must understand why Jesus tried to teach them through a parable. Okay? Most people, when it comes to this parable especially too, they typically interpret it according to their doctrinal position on things. And so, people who believe you can lose your salvation, they like to mess with this parable. But again... We don't want to do that. Let's make sure we understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. That's very important. And, and, and that will, and again, you don't want to get your doctrine from parables. You definitely don't want to get your doctrine from parables. They can be icing on the cake, but at the end of the day, you can go into a lot of error if you do that. So verse 10 says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? So obviously, this parable that Jesus gave, the disciples, they're, they're watching the crowd, they're looking, and they're like, hey, they don't get this. Why is he speaking this way? Now, I think they understood what he was talking about, but he's like, you know, why would he, why would he tell this story in this way to these people? They're not getting it. Why are you speaking to them in parables? And this is important because Every time we see Jesus speak in parables, you know what? It's typically to unbelieving Jews. And we must remember that. And he answered and said to them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more in abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that which he hath, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And so remember, in the previous chapters, we've been seeing this battle going on in the kingdom of heaven, where the old leadership is not wanting to accept the new leadership that is ordained by God. And so there's a battle, there's a, there's a power struggle going on. And so Jesus Christ, He is the rightful leader of this kingdom, he is, a, he is that prophet that Moses spoke of. He is the Lamb of God that John the Baptist had pointed out. He's everything that all the prophets and Jesus claimed to be. But there's a power struggle going on. There's, a, there's new leaders in charge. And Jesus has chosen His 12 disciples. And they are a part of that kingdom. And so He'll share things with them. But these other people who are not of faith, they're, if they're not going to follow His leadership, if they're not going to believe His words... You know what? The, the, when it comes to the things of the kingdom, it's none of their business. Okay? And again, what is the kingdom all about? And the kingdom, specifically, it is, it is about the ministry and it is about the work of the gospel and getting people saved. 
And Israel was not getting the job done. They were not accomplishing anything. And so Jesus, he is not going to give them all these details and things concerning that work and that ministry and that stewardship and all these different things until they believe him. Because you know what? Again, you're not going to go around getting people saved, doing a work for God when you're not even saved yourself. So why does he need to give you the mysteries of the kingdom? You, you, you can't understand them. You're not going to be able to do anything with them. And so I believe, and so whenever they're coming along and they're asking these questions, Jesus is going to speak the truth, but he's doing it in a way where it will be concealed from those who are not part of the kingdom, from those who are not of faith, but it will be received and understood by those who are of faith and those who are in the kingdom. Only Jesus can speak that way. And again, Paul talks about this. How the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, they are foolishness unto them. So Jesus spoke in these spiritual ways. So always keep that in mind when you see him doing these parables. That he is, he's hiding things from certain people because it's just not for them to know. There's some things you are not going to understand before you get saved. You have to get saved first. You got to believe on Christ first. They are seeking for information that are, they are in no position to know. Something that they cannot know. So verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not, shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So this is what this is a fulfillment of prophecy that Isaiah said about Israel. These people they're not going to hear these things. And so notice when it comes to this parable that Jesus gave, he's giving it to an unbelieving group. We see a fulfillment of a prophecy specifically about Israel how their hearts were not going to be prepared or were not going to be ready to receive the things of God. Their ears are going to be dull of hearing, and it was their fault by the way. Okay, and you know, and according to the Calvinists, you know, this was something that Jesus ordained or God ordained for them. No, that's not that's not how that works. They should have believed, but they had a hard heart. They had stiff necks, and so verse sixteen, he goes on to say, "But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear." For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. And this is interesting too because Jesus said, or Jesus is showing here that uh, the prophets, this is kind of the same thing too that Peter talked about this, Paul talked about it, how the prophets, they spoke about these very things, but they didn't really understand what they were writing. They didn't understand the things that they were saying. And it's clear too at this point the disciples don't fully get it either. They're, they're still not completely there yet. We should understand these things by now. But verse 18, so he goes on to say, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. So notice when he says hear. Okay? In this verse, he isn't telling the people the parable again. When he's saying hear, you know what he's basically saying? Now understand it. And he's saying this to his disciples. Understand the parable of the sower. Everybody heard what he said. Everybody audibly heard him, but not everyone heard them. Not everyone listened. And it's just like your kids all the time. Have you ever said to your kids, are you listening to me? You know, 
Why are you saying that? Are you, do you think they might be deaf? No. We sometimes think they might be stupid or something like that. But, or, or just being rebellious. And isn't that what they're usually doing? Yeah, I, yeah, you heard me say go clean your room. You just disobeyed. And that's where Israel was. And so Jesus now is about to explain the, this parable. And he's, he's about to explain too how different hearts receive the word of the kingdom. This is about, because again, the word of God, it, uh, the, the sowing the seed, sowing the gospel, it will save people if they will hear it. Meaning, with their spiritual ears. If they will listen to it. It will save them. But you know what? One thing we have to remember when we go out soul winning, not everyone's heart is prepared. So it really doesn't matter how good you can give the gospel. You can give the most clear, eloquent, you know, spirit-filled presentation there is. If their heart's not ready, they're not going to receive it. Now, again, you know, a lot of times we're just doing some work on the heart when you're giving the gospel. It's always profitable to give someone the gospel. But at the end of the day, not everybody's going to get it right away because there's different hearts. People are in different places. And so Jesus is about to explain the different hearts here. and But also, He's talking too more than just about people getting saved, but also He's talking about the kingdom. He's, ta- he's been talking about the kingdom. Remember too, that it's going to be taken from Israel. They are going to lose the stewardship. They are going to lose the ministry. Jesus has also just said in here too, for, uh, to, uh, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. So uh, keep that in mind too, because Israel's not producing fruit. And one of the things that God wants to do in his kingdom, he wants fruit, but he also wants us to reproduce. Now, again, not everyone reproduces. Not everyone bears fruit, but understand everyone who gets saved, they have a calling on their life to bring forth fruit. But does everyone bring forth fruit? No. And, and so we're going to see that here in this parable. So it says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So there are, there's sometimes people, they just don't get it. You know why? Because their hearts are like the seed that lands on the wayside. And Satan is going to come and he's going to take it from them. This is why I hate too when you have people, they listen, they act like they're understanding. They're, you know, when you ask, hey, do you believe, you know, you're a sinner and all those questions, you know, they'll say yes, they'll answer all the right things. Hey, you know, it's like calling the Lord. Ah, oh, no, no, no. Okay, now, first off, it's probably because they just don't really believe. But here's the thing, even if they kind of are, the reality is if they don't accept, if they don't believe on Christ and you know, put their faith and trust in Him, call on the Lord, if they don't do these things, it is very possible that that heart you're dealing with is like on the wayside. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to leave. They're going to go sit back at their TV and they are going to forget all about it. And you know what? They're never going to get saved. That seed has been taken. And they might not ever think about it again. And unfortunately, that happens sometimes. 
And you say, well, you know, that stinks and that happens. Well, you know, at the end of the day, again, we can't control outcomes. But you know what? I hope, you know, I, I want to make sure, at least when these people stand before God on Judgment Day, I'm sure they'll remember then. And, you know, let it not be said that anyone in this area didn't have somebody give the gospel to them. For sure, we want to make sure we're at least reaching everybody in our community. But look at verse 19, or uh, verse 20. So it says, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. So note, this person, they hear it and they receive it. I personally believe this means they got saved. I believe that. But they're on stony ground. And it says, Yet hath he not rooted himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by, he is offended. And listen, there is an argument that we will always be fighting with the work salvation crowd. And that is, you know, were these people ever really saved to begin with? We will always be fighting with the work salvation people on that. But folks, I believe they were saved. I believe, and, or some too will say they were just never really saved. Is what some, some will say. But no, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom. A whole point of being a part of the kingdom is we are supposed to be bringing forth fruit. Israel is in trouble too because they're not bearing any fruit. And it's because they had a heart problem. And there are, there's going to be people who they are going to receive the word. And I believe they're, they are going to receive it. They're going to be saved. But because of circumstances in their life, because of the stony ground, they're never going to bear any fruit. Now, I'm glad they're going to heaven. Okay? I'm, I want as many people to go to heaven as possible. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And, and understand, salvation, if it is a truly free gift, then that, that means that it is possible to get saved and never pay God back anything. That he, he did pay for all of our sins. And there are going to be some people. It's just a fact. It's a sad fact. But you know, it's not a sad fact. I'm glad they're going to heaven. But they are never going to get do anything for God. Because they're in stony ground. But I'm still glad they're going to be saved. And I've told stories, and I'm not trying to make an emotional argument here. But you know what? I, I remember I was just telling somebody about it. One time we were in Rockford. It was a rough area, a rough street. And I remember I talked to this one lady. I mean, you could tell she had been run through the ringer of life. She had a whole bunch of small kids. I mean, you know, just in a horrible dump of a house. And But I'm telling you, I, I explained the gospel to her. There's no doubt she understood it. She, I mean, was excited about it. She prayed and she got saved. But you know, when you look at the life, the, the situation she's in, the chances of her just going and being super Christian out there and bearing a lot of fruits, pretty slim. I mean, folks, we can barely get people who have their lives together and things going good in their life to stay faithful to the things of God. What do we think people like that are going to do? They're probably never going to accomplish a whole lot. But you know what? I believe that she's going to go to heaven someday. I believe God loves her. I believe Jesus paid for her sins and she's going to go to heaven. One time in Sterling, I talked to two people. When I saw them, I thought they were, I thought they were teenagers. I thought they looked pretty young. And so I asked, uh, you know, I, I remember I asked them if their parents were home. And, you know, I, when, if, when it's younger people, I like to just get parents' permission if I'm going to talk to them. And they did. They looked really young. But then they were like, no, we're 19 and 21. They looked very neglected. They looked, they, I mean, you could tell they lived a rough life. And I almost skipped that house. 
because I had a sodomite flag hanging up there. But these two young people, they were so receptive and you could tell they were abused. You could tell they were living, they lived a horrible life. And, but you know what? They heard the good news of the gospel. They believed they called the Lord for salvation. And you know what? I, I can't imagine, you know, with all that they've been through, with the neglect that they've dealt with, growing up in the house of either sodomites or sodomite supporters, the chances of them bearing fruit are very slim. But you know what? Jesus loves them. He paid for their sins on the cross. And I believe they're going to be in heaven someday. But they're in stony ground. How well do we think we would do if we grew up in, the, in a house like that? Where do we think we would be if we'd grown up in a house like that? So I'm telling you, one of the main reasons we want to go soul winning, again, too, is because the chances of getting people like that to just show up at your church and hear a message and come forward at an altar call and get saved are zero. It's just not going to happen. But I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. I think we all know this here. But I do believe the people on Stony Ground, are they get saved. They just don't bear any fruit. And so... Um, but I, I do believe something that gives credibility to the argument I'm making too is the fact that we have a theme in the Gospels again, where Christ is constantly rebuking Israel for not having fruit as a nation. Jesus is trying to build His kingdom. Jesus needs fruit-bearing branches. Listen, the kingdom is not going to go on if Jesus just goes and gets a bunch of people saved, but He doesn't train any disciples. He's got to have disciples. There's got to be people who are faithful to studying the Scriptures, faithful to the house of God, faithful to soul winning, faithful to training up more soul winners. We have to have that or it will cease to exist. It will cease. That's why the church is so important. We don't want to bypass the church or we're not going to get that next generation of soul winners. That's why we've got to have church. Verse 22, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word in the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and look, he becometh unfruitful. That's the key right there. He becometh unfruitful. There's a lot of saved people who get caught up in the things of this world and making a bunch of money and things like that. And you know what? They get out of church. They quit serving God. Or they maybe they don't even get out of church, but they go to a country club church where it's all about the activities and the social things. And they never go soul winning. They never win anybody to Christ. They become unfruitful. A lot of people are looking for those churches out there, the country club churches. And I could preach a whole sermon about them. I'm not going to do that tonight. But many saved people do. They allow the things of the world to distract them from the things of God. They never reproduce. And it's sad. I've heard, I've heard preachers tell stories and give statistics about just the percentage of Christians that have actually won other people to the Lord. And it's pretty scary how low those numbers are. That's, that's not acceptable. My wife, when we were at Revival, she went soul winning. There was a seven-year-old girl that she was with that led somebody to the Lord. And she like had a polished presentation. Seven years old. You know how many, you know how many adults have never won someone to Christ? You know, that, and, and that's why people teach against easy believism. That's why people teach the hard salvation because they get convicted. When you know that a seven-year-old girl can go out and get somebody saved, you know that you know you should be doing it too. And that you could be doing it. You're just choosing not to do it because the cares of this world are making you unfruitful. 
Shame, shame on you if that's you. That's, that, that is a shame. So verse 23, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Notice how it says, he receives it, understands it, like the one in the stony ground, like the one among the thorns. But this one, the one that's in the good ground, that's people like me. I got saved on good ground in a preacher's home. You know, that's, that's a blessing. The kids in this church, you know, that, that you are growing up in a Christian home, got saved at a young age. You were, I mean, you're somebody that got it on good ground. You have no excuse to not bear fruit. You have absolutely no excuse. You should be bearing fruit. You ought to be thankful that you, that you are, on, that you're on good ground. And so, Jump back to verse 12, because I want to, I want to show you something. And so notice how it says, understandeth, meaning they have spiritual ears. And then notice, again, in addition to understanding, they go on to bear fruit. And some bear more fruit than others. Some 100, some 60, some 30. So look at Matthew 13, 11. He answered and said unto them, blessed is he, uh, or because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and shall have more in abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. And because Israel is not bearing fruit, the kingdom was taken from them. But you know what else Jesus is going to say to them later? Not only are you, it's like not only are you preventing people from going into the kingdom, you're not even going in yourselves. You want to know the main, one of the main reasons they weren't bearing any fruit? Because they just weren't saved. That's why. That's why. So, the mysteries of the kingdom said they did not belong to the Jews because they didn't have faith. They weren't bearing fruit and they are going to lose the kingdom. And so, remember, and in Sunday school this week, I'm going to be talking about the fact too, I'm going to be talking about, we're going to do some word, I'm going to, I want to do some word studies. I don't do a lot of that. But we're going to talk about the word stewardship and dispensation. And did you know the meanings of those words are very similar? Stewardship and dispensation. And so understand, Israel had the stewardship of the work of God. But that stewardship or that dispensation was taken from them and it was given to someone else because they weren't getting the job done. We'll talk about that in Sunday school but there Israel is no longer going to be over these things. So verse 24, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst, thou, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, I don't want to go into a whole lot of speculation on this, but first off, notice that when God started His kingdom, when God originally set things up with Israel, He put guys like Moses and Aaron in charge that were good guys of faith. But 
while there were some good people throughout Israel's history, there were some bad people throughout Israel's history too. Where did those people come from? Well, an enemy. Who do you think the enemy is? Satan. And wouldn't that be why Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil? You know what, you know what they were? They were the ones that the enemy had sowed among the wheat. And that's what we have in Israel during Jesus' day. You've got wheat and tares in there. And you know what? You know, you could, you could say too that the, the events that took place in that first century, it did. It kind of separated the wheat from the tares. And the tares got burned up when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. I also believe this has an end of the world uh, application too, for sure. There is going to be a separating of the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares. And we see in the book of Revelation, we have the vision of the two angels with the sickle. And one gathers up the wheat first. And then after that, after the gathering of the wheat, which I believe is symbolic of the rapture, we have another one come and it gathers up the rest and they're cast into the winepress of the wrath of God. And that's what's going to happen in the end. One of these days, because again, when Jesus Christ, after his death, burial and resurrection, the kingdom, it went on, it expanded. It was no longer just going to be in Israel, but it expanded into the entire world. And so, again, the entire world is God's kingdom. See a Spirit of Prophecy video coming up tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about this a little bit. But God's kingdom spread throughout all the world. Okay, This whole world is His kingdom. Okay? He's ruling and reigning now spiritually. And one of these days, you know what He's going to do? He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. And He is going to go through His kingdom, which is through this whole earth, Okay, not just in Israel, through the whole earth, and the tares are going to be cast in the winepress of the wrath of God. But thankfully, after He gathers us up. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And so that's what this parable is all about. So the tares, are there, you know, they're clearly the two false prophets who bring in false doctrine. That's how they, uh, that's how they do this. They bring in their false doctrine. The reason there is so much confusion, even in the uh, in the independent fundamental Baptist today, you want to know why there's so much bad doctrine, even in Baptist churches today, because the enemy sows tares among the wheat. We were warned about this. Paul warned him night and day with tears. He said, "Grievous wolves are going to come, not sparing the flock." This this business has been going on from the beginning. And it will always be here until Jesus Christ comes back. There, and we do. We have a ton of great doctrine in the IFB world, but there is a growing amount of false doctrine thanks to wolves that keep creeping in. And we don't have preachers that are afraid to call these things out and correct these things. We've got to make sure we do this. We've got to purge these things and purge this back doctrine from churches. So verse 31, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And so notice how the kingdom of Christ was. It was very small at this point. I mean, it is. it was very small during this time, but...
but it was going to become a great kingdom. We see in Daniel, it talked about that stone that was going to smite the feet of that image, but it was going to grow into an exceeding mountain. And so understand, Christ's kingdom, it was. It was just in that little tiny nation of Israel. And even within that kingdom, there was a whole bunch of tares in that kingdom. But he's saying the kingdom of heaven, it's like in that mustard seed. That mustard seed, it's a tiny seed, but it grows into a great tree and the birds come and they, and they live in those trees. And he's saying that is how the kingdom of heaven is going to be. We're starting small, but we're going to be big. And you know what that reminds me of too? It reminds me of what Jesus said or what God said to Abraham when he told Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. I'm going to make of you a great nation. God has always wanted a lot of people to go to heaven. And He's wanted people from all over the world from the beginning of time. And so verse 33, another pair. And, and, and this is... So I'm, I'm not doing justice to any of these parables. They all deserve their own sermons. We're, but we're going, to, we're going to go through all of them. But again, remember, Israel is keeping people out of the kingdom. They're, they're making it all about the Jews. And it was supposed, his house was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Again, this is why that, uh, that stewardship was taken from them. So verse 33, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Leaven also spreads. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is going to do. It's going to spread throughout all the earth. And a kingdom started in Israel all over the world now. Verse 34. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake He not unto them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open My mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so there were, there were so many things God commanded Israel to do with the things of the temple that we can now look back and we can understand the purpose of those things. But understand, they didn't understand at the time. They were just supposed to be obedient and trust God. When they would sacrifice those lambs, say, well, the sacrificing of lambs is what saved them. No. Sacrificing a lamb didn't save them. That was, that was the ministry during that time. That was how they practiced their faith at that time. Just like baptism. We all, do we think baptism saves us? Do we think soul winning saves us? Do we think going to church or any of these things saves us? Why do we do these things? We do these things because they're what God told us as His people to do. And you know what? If dispensationalists, these you know, multiple gospel dispensationalists were consistent, if they were right, if they, if, they consist, if they interpreted things of the New Testament in the millennium the way they're interpreting things from the Old Testament... When they get into the millennium, they're going to be, they would be out there teaching, you know, those people, they got saved in the New Testament church age by going to church and getting baptized and being soul winners and doing all this. Like, no, we didn't get saved by those things. We got saved by faith. Well, why'd you do all those things? God wanted us to. Same reason they sacrificed animals back then. Never saved them. Never, they were saved by faith, but they would do those things in obedience to God. And they didn't understand why. Yeah, there was there. We have much more that has been revealed to us. I mean, the mysteries of the kingdom have been given to us, and the apostle Paul said too, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. So we are we are in a very blessed and privileged time to have all these things. 
But there's still some things we don't know, and we're looking forward to learning those things when Christ comes back. So, important things to understand. Um, so, verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and His disciples came unto Him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So again, something we need to understand about the kingdom of God is while we're doing a work, the devil is also working right alongside of us, counterfeiting everything we do. There's always going to be a counterfeit church. And there's always going to be, even within a church, the Judases are going to come in. It's, it's going to happen. Satan is all, Satan's always going to work wherever we're working. That's all there is to it. And that's another thing too. Like your amillennialist, your preterist, they teach that Satan is bound right now. Listen, Satan's not bound. He's walking out around as a roaring lion, seeking whom, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he's devouring a lot of people. So I don't know. I don't know where people come up with some of this stuff, but it's interesting. But listen, you name it, anything good about church, the devil has a counterfeit. For example, even in the KJV world, you know what? The devil's sown Ruckmanites among the KJV world. Even among the soul winning crowds, the devil, he sows in those one, two, three, repeat after me people that make it look bad. Even within good Baptist churches, he's got all kinds of tares sown in there. That he's got counterfeit things in there that make things look bad. And, and that, that mess people up. And we gotta watch out for, we gotta watch out for that. So verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. And think about those two angels in Revelation 14. I don't think I agree with how you're interpreting it. I mean, it seems pretty consistent with what Jesus is saying right here. Seems very consistent with that. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. And remember, He said, it's in the world. The whole world. All of those, this world is His kingdom right now. Okay? Let's, we've let the amillennialists and the preterists and all these people scare us away from speaking the truth about that. Listen, those things are true. Spiritually, it doesn't mean he's not coming back in the flesh. But these things are a fact. His kingdom is in this whole world. And that's why, too, we have the right, biblically, to go anywhere we want to preach the gospel. Now, we have people who, like the Jews, are going to try to prevent us. And that are going to try to do violence. And are going to... Uh, and, but understand they will be held accountable for that someday. In all these places that try stopping soul winners, that try hindering the Gospel, they will pay dearly for how they treated God's people, how they were with the Gospel. And thankfully, our country, for the most part, you know, it's pretty free uh, in letting people give the Gospel. But let me tell you, I mean, you know, woe to those who try to prevent these things. They are going to pay the consequences and so again, boy, and when I hear a Christian act like, well, you know, we ought to obey the rules, it's like, shut up. Of course we ought to obey the rules, but God's rules, 
He rules the world with truth and grace. You rip that out of your songbook and you quit singing that at Christmas if you don't believe that. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness. We sing that song, but boy, we don't want to live it. And so again, now listen, I am all for doing things stealthy. I'm all for doing what you have to do to avoid the cops when those things happen and, and avoid getting arrested. But at the end of the day, I mean, by all means, feel free to, you know, break the rules for crying out loud. And you know what? And, and let me just say this too. I'm, I'm just, um, I was looking at a church and their reviews. Uh, and it was, and you know, and I'll just name the church because this was good. It was, it was Northwest and Elgin. And they had all these bad reviews from people these people are always knocking on my door. These people are always ignoring the no soliciting sign. That applies to churches too. I mean, almost every bad review they had was somebody yelling at me. And I'm just like, good for them. Every, every one star I saw made me more impressed with the church. I'm like, this is good. They're knocking doors. God bless them. I mean, and there, there was a lot <laughs> on there. And so that's good. And you know what? I said, I'm thankful when I get those nasty voicemails. About that. It encourages my heart. I'm not ashamed of that stuff. But some guys, these trendies out there that are being paralyzed by what the world thinks about them, they get those things. Oh, we need to find different ways. That's just not effective. Yeah, it's not effective in making you Mr. Popular. But you know what? It is effective in getting people saved. So just go out there and do it. Hey, because they, they haven't come up with a better method. If they come up with a better method, you know, they can come talk to me. But until then, uh, you know what? Leave me alone while I break the rules. And trespass. And ignore no soliciting signs and things like that. So anyway, I already lost my spot and going on rants. The Son of Man shall send forth angels who shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend. And, and uh, we already read all that. Uh, so, verse 44. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And this is just, these are just two parables just showing the importance of this kingdom and, and the importance of the rewards that come from that kingdom. The rewards that we get for the things that we accomplish in the kingdom of God are eternal. And yet people sacrifice these eternal rewards for money, for temporary things, for earthly pleasures, it's not worth it. If we truly understood these things, if we truly believe what God's Word says about it, we would be willing to forsake things on this earth to pursue the things of the kingdom of God because we understand how much better they are, how, value, how valuable they are. We'll be willing to sell everything so we can go buy that land that's got that one pearl in there because we, we recognize the value of what's there. And we do. We Hopefully we recognize the value of souls. We recognize the value of the will of God and of the kingdom of God and we keep that the focal point. So verse 47, And again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net which was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew near to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And we have no indication of when that's going to be, but it's going to happen one of these days. Again, a separating. This is God's kingdom. He's going to remove all things that offend, 
one of these days. And so there is a separating of the sheep and goats coming. And again, this here is more evidence too of the foolishness of preterism because we are definitely living in a day when everything's mixed. I mean, for sure. Churches, our world. I mean, folks, there are so many things that offend in this world. It, and the preterists teach this is God's kingdom. Well, what happened to the separating of the sheep from the goats? Why all the goats? Why all the offensive things? You know why? Because this hasn't happened yet. Okay? And let me tell you, this preterism stuff's growing. It's growing a lot, and I believe a lot of it too is because you know there's pretty much dispensationalism is the main teaching that's out there on end times, and it's so full of flaws and stupidity and contradictions that people are just turning away from it. And you know what? That's why I want to stand up to this preterism stuff, teaching things right. So these people, they'll stop going to them and go more towards like what we teach because the dispensationalism is bad, but preterism is worse. It is, it is much worse. So verse 47. Again, uh, wait, I read that one. Verse 51. Jesus, Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he said unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of the, his treasure things new and old. Okay? And, and a householder is like a steward as well. Okay? That's, an, that's another word for something like a steward. Somebody who takes care of someone else's things. Okay? And understand, this kingdom that we are a part of, it belongs to Jesus Christ. He is this vine- the world is His vineyard. We are the husbandmen. He has gone on a long journey and He's going to come back one of these days. And so, uh, this is what I believe He's saying right here. When He said, "...who bringeth forth out of His treasure things new and old." I think what He's saying here too is one of the things that we are supposed to do as the householder, as the steward, as the husbandman, whatever you want to call us, is we are supposed to go to the treasures and pull the things from the Old and New Testament. There are things from the Old Testament we are supposed to be teaching. We are supposed to be preaching. And there are also the new things as well. And the Jews were rejecting all the new things. And they weren't even really doing the old things right. But what God wants us doing in His kingdom, He doesn't want us throwing out the Law and the Prophets. He absolutely does not want us throwing those things out. But He does want us properly using them. Okay, obviously we know not to go sacrifice lambs. But there are things, but, uh, but somebody who is instructed in the kingdom of heaven, they will know how to do that. They will absolutely know how to do it. And so, uh, I, I believe that's what he's explaining right there. So verse 53, wish I had more time to talk about that. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Again, the Jews, they were so big about bloodlines, pedigrees, and all these different things. When they saw that Jesus, even though He's doing these great things, that He was 
a nobody when it came to all the earthly things, well, I'm not listening to what he has to say. This is a nobody. I only listen to people that went, you know, that graduated from this Bible college. I only listen to people that has this degree, you know, that come from this pedigree. But now, th- this was the Son of God. They just didn't know it. And and as re- and so notice the first parables we see we see Jesus speaking were to a people that he didn't do mighty many mighty works among because of their unbelief. The parables were to unbelieving Jews, and we can't expect to learn more truth if there's truth that we are rejecting. And under, and keep that in mind too when people try coming along and asking weird questions. It's like you know. There's some things you got to get first. Like, like when we're out soloing too. Have you ever just been there giving the gospel to somebody and all of a sudden they're like, what about homosexuals? It's just like, oh. like I don't want to talk about that. What about the Nephilim? You know, and they'll just, it, it, I, 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 that, when, and when that happens, you know, there's a good chance you're not going to get anywhere with them. They're not paying attention. They're distracted. And I've had that where people just keep randomly asking weird off the wall questions because they were you know they were watching ancient aliens or something like that and you know do you think there were ever aliens yeah it's just like i'm not here to talk about that (laughs) absolutely not here to talk about that but many people do they hit they hit brick walls in their study and growth because they won't accept what god gives them and if we refuse one truth from god why would we expect him to give another why would we expect God to help us understand prophecy if we're not going to listen to what he plainly said about the Jews. You know, he's not going to give you those things. And so never, never, ever, ever allow stubbornness, politics, or anything to hold you back from the truth. And never let obedience. Okay? A lot of it's too, it's not even about head knowledge, but how many things do we read and we just don't obey them? Well, if you're not going to learn, you know, things like love your enemies, why should God teach you the deeper things? You know, start practicing these things that we know, these things that are plain, and God will give you the deeper things. So, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for this chapter and the wonderful lessons we can learn from it. And if anybody got anything from this, Lord, let this chapter be a reminder of what we are here to do. We are a part of Your kingdom. Help us to be out there bringing forth fruit, bringing people in, getting the gospel to as many people as we can, and also uh, training new disciples. In Your name we pray. Amen.